This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 113, entitled Son of Man Christology in the Gospel of John, Part 6. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. We are approaching the end of our study of the Christological title, Son of Man, in the four Gospels. This episode will focus on John chapter 9, where Jesus gives sight to a blind man. It is often overlooked that this passage climaxes with a confession that Jesus is the Son of Man on the part of the man who was healed. Furthermore, Jesus judges those who do not regard him as the Son of Man as both blind and guilty of their sins. In other words, the correct understanding of who Jesus is is at the very heart of this story. John chapter 9 is not one of the typical passages used to argue for the humanity of Jesus, but I hope that after this episode is concluded, you will have a greater appreciation for its argument and its message. What can we learn about how the Gospel of John portrays Jesus as the Son of Man by looking at the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the healing performed by the Son of Man. So John chapter 9 is a fairly lengthy chapter. We're just going to read segments of it throughout this episode. So, on our first point, we're going to read John chapter 9 and the first seven verses. Starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, Wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This section of the passage introduces the blind man and details the act of healing, both in the reason why Jesus did it and the manner in which it took place. The disciples 
after all the events narrated in the first eight chapters of the Gospel of John, refer to Jesus as Rabbi. This is a title given to respected Jewish teachers, often by those who regard that teacher as someone from whom they desire to learn. In the first century AD, the term rabbi was always used in regard to Jewish males. And it goes without saying that these males were human beings. In some, there is no hint of pre-existence or status of divinity in the designation given by Jesus' disciples, that of rabbi, teacher. They regarded Jesus as an authoritative Jewish teacher teaching the commands of God. So when Rabbi Jesus was asked whether the blind man sinned or his parents, he reorients the question in terms of how this sign is going to take place. In doing so, Jesus states that, quote, the works of God, end quote, are to be displayed in this blind man. Chapter 9, verse 3. In describing God here, the definite article in Greek is employed, indicating the one God that we all know and recognize. By referring to the God as someone other than himself, Jesus clearly distinguishes himself from the true God. Jesus saying that we must work the works of the God, Jesus is distinguishing himself from that God. The identity of this God is clarified in the following verse, which states that, quote, we must work the works of him who sent me, in quote. Chapter 9, verse 4. In other words, the God whose works are to be displayed is one and the same as the person who sent Jesus to perform those works. By regarding himself as the one sent by God, Jesus further distinguishes himself from God. What are we to make of the fact that Jesus was sent by God? And how does this play into our understanding of the Son of Man? Normally, when someone is sent by God within the Bible, it indicates that the one sent has been commissioned with a purpose to perform. In this manner, Abraham was sent, Moses was sent, and all the prophets were sent. Even John the Baptist was sent, according to John chapter 1, verse 6. But the act of sending these persons is not indicative of a prior location with God in heaven. They were not sent from heaven down to earth. However, it is possible that being sent could indicate a sending from heaven to earth. But the passage in question, 
here in John chapter 9, offers no evidence to suggest that Jesus was actually sent down to earth from heaven. In fact, we do have an indication later in the passage where Jesus is regarded as a prophet in John 9.17. More on that passage later. As a prophetic figure, the sending of Jesus would most naturally refer to his commissioning to work the works of God like any other human prophets who went before him. While playing along with the theme of giving light and sight to a blind man, Jesus states that he is the light of the world. Chapter 9, verse 5. This is a description Jesus already used of himself back in chapter 8, verse 12. But the theme of light was first introduced in the prologue of the fourth gospel where it is used to describe the Logos, that is, God's personified utterance. So in regard to understanding what Jesus might mean by claiming to be the light of the world, I want to temporarily shift our thinking away from the human Jesus on earth and onto the spoken Logos of God as it is portrayed in the opening verses of the fourth gospel. This is what the prologue has to say about the Logos of God and its relationship to the theme of light. So I'm going to read John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. As we can see, the personified word through which all things were created bore life. And that life was the light of men, just like the blind man in John chapter 9. The light that was in the Logos shines in the darkness. When we look at the parallels to the Word of God that creates, that gives life, and brings about light into places of darkness, the obvious parallel is Genesis chapter 1, especially Genesis 1 verse 3, where God says, quote, let there be light and there was light, end quote. God's creative and powerful word brings light into darkness and the prologue of John insists that Jesus is the human being that the word became, John 1.14. So, it logically flows that if the creative word that brings light into darkness was embodied in the human Jesus at his birth, then Jesus can legitimately speak as the light 
of the world. By depicting Jesus as the light of the world, the fourth gospel is making a high Christological claim. But this is high human Christology. Back to John chapter 9 and the blind man. Jesus rubs wet clay in the eyes of the blind man and tells him to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. The text tells us that at the moment the blind man washed his eyes with the water of the pool, he was able to see. But as we will soon observe, the ability for the blind man to now see affects his eyesight and his acceptance of who Jesus claims to be, namely the Son of Man. But the formerly blind man is going to be interrogated by the Jewish authorities, specifically the Pharisees, in regard to who Jesus is and to the nature of this supposed miracle, because this miracle took place on the Sabbath, where it was unlawful to do work and to knead water into clay. Let's look at the section to see what it can tell us about the Son of Man. Our second point today is the Son of Man who heals on the Sabbath. Picking up in John chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 10. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. That's John chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. The Jewish authorities, who question the legitimacy of this healing, repeatedly ask the formerly blind man, as I'm going to refer to him, how he came to see. He responds by calling Jesus a human being, quote, the man who is called Jesus. End quote, using the Greek noun anthropos. It should not be lost on us that the blind man who can now see attributes the miracle to a human being, to Jesus as a man. 
he does not regard the one who healed him as God or as God in the flesh. And the Jews who are questioning the formerly blind man do not object to the suggestion that a human being was able to perform this miracle. It was fairly common for God to use miracle-working human beings to do God's mighty works. The ability to perform miracles does not make someone God. As the passage continues, the concern with the Pharisees, who are deeply invested in honoring the sanctity of the Sabbath and upholding the holiness of the people of Israel, is that the miracle could not have occurred as it was described, because God would certainly not allow work to be done on the Sabbath. Even on this point, the Pharisees are divided. The nature of the divide between the Pharisees is important for readers to consider. Some of the Pharisees were saying, quote, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. End quote. Chapter 9, verse 16. Note carefully that in this objection, the Pharisees actually agree with the confession made by the formerly blind man that Jesus is a human being, calling him again an anthropos, a man. Their dispute was not in the humanity of Jesus. It was with the claim that God could commission and endorse this human being to do what was regarded as unlawful on the Sabbath. These Pharisees conclude that the man Jesus was not actually sent by God, but they do not dispute the humanity of Jesus. Other Pharisees regard Jesus as a guilty, Sabbath-breaking sinner, and sinners certainly could not perform signs, thus calling the whole healing into question. In describing Jesus as a sinner, these Pharisees also regard Jesus as a human being, calling him in Greek an anthropos. This creates a schisma, a division among the Pharisees. But the division is not over the humanity of Jesus. On that point, they are in agreement, and in agreement even with the formerly blind man, who also confessed Jesus as a human being. And as we will see, when Jesus returns to talk to the man who was healed, it is in regard to the human Son of Man that Jesus will speak. While the Pharisees disagree as to whether the man Jesus was truly sent by God, or whether a miracle could take place at the hands of a sinner, the formerly blind man argues in favor of the miracle's legitimacy, confessing Jesus to be a prophet. Chapter 9, verse 16. 
as a prophet, Jesus would be a spokesman on behalf of God to the people. And only a legitimate prophet could have performed the miracle in question. The formerly blind man still believes that God has worked through this human prophet, Jesus, to bring about this miraculous act of healing. Let's move on to our third point. Point number three, the son of man in whom we are to believe. I'm going to pick up our story in John chapter 9, verse 35, and read on to the end of the chapter. Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. That's John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. After the formerly blind man was cast out for insisting that God really was endorsing the work of this human prophet Jesus, even on the Sabbath, Jesus finds him. In doing so, Jesus asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? Chapter 9, verse 35. This request has appeared odd to many interpreters, since the Son of Man has never been the object of faith anywhere in the Gospel of John up to this point, nor is it repeated anywhere after this passage. But, the entire chapter has been leading up to this climactic point. The Son of Man, that is, the human agent of God, has been the focal point of the Christology throughout this passage. As the human agent of God, Jesus teaches God's commands. So the disciples refer to him as rabbi. As the human agent of God, Jesus has truly been sent and authorized by God. As the human agent of God, Jesus works the healing miracles of God. And as the human agent of God, Jesus brings the same light into darkness that was spoken into existence at creation. The blind man even calls Jesus a human being, as do both sides of the divided Pharisaical camp. 
Everyone in the story agrees on this point. So when Jesus asks for belief in the human Son of Man, should we really be surprised? The formerly blind man responds to Jesus' question by asking, Who is this Son of Man? Now, on the surface, this innocent question could mean two things. It's important that we explore how this question could possibly mean. It could mean that the healed man does not know what Son of Man means and that the term would have no meaning to him. His question could also mean that while he does know what Son of Man means, he does not know to whom this designation belongs. I think that given these two choices, with the context that we have in our current passage, the second option seems most likely, that the formerly blind man knows what Son of Man means, but he does not know to whom the title belongs. Since Jesus' response to this question is to identify himself as the Son of Man, rather than to define what the term means, I feel that my interpretation is well-founded. The formerly blind man worships the Son of Man and calls him Lord. Now, can a human being be worshipped? Of course they can, especially when that human being is the Son of Man freshly confessed. Let us recall the paradigmatic Son of Man passage from Daniel chapter 7, where the Ancient of Days gives to the one like a Son of Man, quote, dominion, authority, and kingship, so that all the people and nations might serve him, end quote. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. As the human agent of the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man shares in God's dominion, authority, kingship, and right to be worshipped. So the fact that the formerly blind man worships the Son of Man, this is exactly what we would expect from Daniel chapter 7. Furthermore, as a human being who shares in God's dominion, authority, and kingship, the Son of Man can be called Lord as an exalted title. But this is unlikely to refer to Lord as in the divine name, as in the name Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton. As a parallel example to consider, King David in the Old Testament was worshipped by the Israelites, and called Lord. But these accolades given to the human David never collapsed David and the God of Israel into a single being. Nobody in Samuel and Kings regarded David as the God of heaven by worshiping him and calling him Lord. The formerly blind man 
confesses his belief in Jesus as the human Son of Man, saying, quote, Lord, I believe, end quote. The reader of the Gospel of John should read themselves into the text and follow in the footsteps of the man who was once blind and now sees Jesus. And that Jesus is this man functioning as the highly authorized agent of the one true God. The confession made by the formerly blind man should also be the confession of faithful readers of this chapter. Jesus immediately turns to speak about judgment, how he came into the world for judgment, and with this judgment, he will rightly sentence people as either blind or able to see. The role of judgment is a divine prerogative, typically reserved for God alone. But the Gospel of John has already let the reader in on the fact that God has shared the role of judgment with the human Jesus, specifically with the Son of Man. Let's recall John chapter 5, verse 27. Quote, He gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. End quote. The Son of Man bears authority from the one God to judge, exercising this prerogative as the human agent. In our current passage of John chapter 9, the Son of Man, recently confessed, judges the formerly blind man as able to see. When the Pharisees ask as to whether they are blind or not, Jesus judges them as both blind and guilty of sin. Of course, Jesus is speaking of blindness in the sense of being able to understand who Jesus is from a Christological standpoint, not whether their two eyes are able to physically see. What is it about the position of the Pharisees that results in Jesus regarding them as blind and still in their sin. Their position was that Jesus was not endorsed by God because God would certainly not endorse a man who broke the Sabbath. This would make Jesus into a sinner, and God does not work in and through sinners, according to the Pharisees. They did agree that Jesus was a human being, but only the formerly blind man confessed Jesus as the Son of Man, which is the human being authorized by God to act as his agent. The formerly blind man was able to connect Jesus as a human being as the one truly sent and authorized by the true God of heaven to perform this miracle. The Pharisees 
could not conceive that Jesus was an agent of God. He appeared to be a sinner, a false prophet at best. Due to the failure of the Pharisees to acknowledge Jesus as a true human agent of God, they are judged as blind and still in their sins. For the author of the Gospel of John, failure to correctly confess the relationship between Jesus and God has serious ramifications that readers need to seriously consider. In conclusion, we have observed that John chapter 9 works with blindness and the ability to see on two levels. Jesus heals a blind man who concluded the story by both being able to see Jesus visibly as well as seeing clearly that Jesus is the Son of Man, the authorized human agent of God. The Pharisees, on the other hand, do not regard Jesus as a true agent of God. And while they can physically see, they are regarded as blind and guilty of sin. The entire passage surrounds the Son of Man and how we are to understand this Christological designation in relationship to the God of Heaven. We first noted that the Son of Man is called a human being. The blind man and both camps of the divided Pharisees agree on this important point. Second, the Son of Man acts as a fully endorsed agent of God, working the works of God, specifically giving sight to the blind man. Since the miracle was legitimate, then it should have demonstrated to all that Jesus was a true agent of God, that God had authorized this man to perform God's mighty works. Third, we observe that God has shared with this human agent God's own authority, God's kingship, God's right to judge. This, in turn, allows the Son of Man to receive worship as an authorized human being as well as letting the Son of Man cast judgment. Fourth, we noted that Jesus asked directly as to whether he was the Son of Man, resulting in an open confession from the man who was healed, a confession that readers should also make. Confessing Jesus as the human agent of God is the climax of the story. And this confession was not supplemented with any talk of divinity or being God in the flesh. Lastly, we saw that the narrative concluded with a judgment given by the Son of Man to those Pharisees who did not acknowledge that God had truly endorsed Jesus as an authorized agent, leaving them blind and in their sins.
for those who do not think it really matters what you believe about Jesus and his relationship to God, I would like to introduce you to the words of Jesus in John chapter 9. The confession that Jesus is the human Son of Man, whom God endorsed to do the work of healing and judgment, is a confession of high human Christology. But it makes little sense with a Trinitarian framework or with an angelic Christology. Join us next week as we begin to wrap up our multi-part study of the Gospel of John in regard to its portrayal of Jesus as the Son of Man. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.